It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Wilson going to the air. Chased out by Daquan Jones. Wilson looking in zone, wide open, touchdown! First NFL touchdown for Zach Wilson! And it goes to Corey Davis. Down the middle, he's got it. Elijah Moore, the 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown! Jones has just caught flat-footed. What an excellent, excellent round. He'll hit immediately. He's got the handoff. You know who that's? From the playlikeajet.com digital studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for midweek news and notes. So for that, we bring in the man who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at jetsinsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, before we get into it, I have to address something. We all know that you are the very biggest of big deals. There's never going to be any debate about that. But I think I may be slightly catching up a little bit, mostly because of your tutelage in the very big deal department. For people that don't know, you've been tutoring me on the ways of becoming a very big deal for the last couple of years. And while I will obviously never reach your level, what you told me when we first started this is it's sort of like Daniel's son and Mr. Miyagi. One day, I hopefully will make you proud as your protege. And I think that day may have come, Chris, because I don't know if you listened to the latest first draft podcast with Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, but if you didn't, I'm going to play this clip for you real quickly so you can hear what Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay had to say. Now, not everybody is pleased with everything in a mock draft. We know that the Jets fans are always going to have high expectations, especially with two picks in the top 10. So when it comes to the Jets in this draft, play like a Jet had a tweet for Mel here. As uh, everybody knows, we got Drake Linden and Kyle Hamilton going in this first mock. And the tweet is, Kuiper has hashtag Jets taking Kyle Hamilton and Drake London, which is pretty much the worst scenario I could ever come up with. So hopefully that's not how this plays out. Mal, why do Jets fans hate this? Well, I like play like a Jet. I respect all these guys' opinions because that's what I say. Fans have a right. Everybody's a right to have an opinion. I like to talk to play like a Jet and bring him on this podcast and say, okay, if that's the worst case scenario, Hamilton and London, what's your best case scenario, play like a Jet? Give me a couple names that are realistic and we'll have a nice debate here. So I invite play like a Jet to come on and join us next week. Aiden, he'll give you Aiden Hutchinson and, and uh, Evan Neal. The best, the best edge rusher. Let's see. I'd like to see. That'll, yeah. that'll be what he wants. Yeah. So how about that, Chris, an invite from Mel Kuyper Jr. to join him and Todd McShay on the next First Draft podcast. Now, for those that aren't following this on Twitter, I did tweet out at Mel Kuyper that I would be absolutely thrilled to join him and Todd McShay to discuss this issue of who the Jets should pick at number four and number 10 on their podcast anytime. So if they want to reach out to me, I am more than happy to come on. As you and I have talked about, you have a different perspective on Mel Kuyper. I respect him a lot, mostly because he was the godfather. He was the guy that got us draft information when nobody else could. Long before we had YouTube and all these websites that could give us draft info all year round. Waiting for Mel Kuyper Jr.'s draft guide to arrive in my household was like Christmas Eve for a draft fan like myself. So I will always have a soft spot for Mel Kuyper. I would love the opportunity to talk about 
who the Jets should take at number four and number 10 with Mel Kuyper and with Todd McShay, even though Todd McShay did throw a little bit of a snarky comment at me at the end there. And by the way, P.S., I won't spoil what I would do at number four and number 10, but no, I'm not going to say Evan Neal and Aiden Hutchinson. Sure, in a perfect world, if one of those guys slipped to 10 and one of them slipped to four, awesome. But believe me, I have a very detailed plan of how I would handle this. Chris, you know that because we've talked about this multiple times. But, Chris, the bigger point here is, even though I know you're not a big Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay fan, and I'm sure you didn't listen to the show, you did just hear that clip, you got to be proud of me for getting my name out there on such a big platform and for making good on what you told me. It's sort of the wax on, wax off thing. At first, I said, Chris, why are you making me do all these menial chores? And you said, trust me, this will help make you a very big deal someday. And I think it paid off. I washed your car like four or five times. And now finally, I see why. Yeah. And see, it's because you had to get like fully under there. You had to really <laughs> scrape all that dirt and grime off the wheel well. That's that's the stuff that really did it for you. It's not just the you know, the surface level stuff. You really had to get in there and like basically take the car apart and clean it piece by piece. <laughs> and that's the attention to detail. That's what does it for you. But I'm happy to, to hear that you're learning under the tutelage and your name's getting out there. Uh, I, and I, I have an appreciation for all that Mel Kuyper stuff, too. But I also remember him saying he would retire if Jimmy Clausen didn't uh, be, uh, became a bust. And, well, we know what happened there. Uh, so <laughs> I, that's really, especially, you know, as a Notre Dame fan watching Jimmy Clausen all that time, I remember when he said that and I was like, well, go ahead and just leave and quit your job now because this is not <laughs> happening. Um, so that's where a lot of my Mel Kuyper stuff all stems from. Uh, but yeah, very, very nicely done there. Uh, uh, you know, get, going out there, you got, you still got a ways to go, but you, get, you just got to keep grinding, keep doing all the dirty work. Hopefully Mel Kuyper meant his invitation to me on the show more sincerely than he did about retiring if Jimmy Clausen didn't become an awesome quarterback. We'll see. I'm still going to keep pressing and trying to get on the show. I would be happy to make good on that offer. So hopefully Mel Kuyper or somebody at ESPN reaches out to me at some point. In the meantime, while we wait for that, though, Chris, we should probably touch on somebody else's mock draft that is a very big deal in the draft industry. Not quite as big of a deal as you are in everyday life, but in terms of the draft industry, he is a very big deal. That, of course, Daniel Jeremiah, longtime scout in the NFL, and now the guy over on NFL Network when it comes to the draft. He does the Move the Sticks podcast. He came out with his mock draft. And unlike what Kuiper came out with and unlike what Dane Brugler from The Athletic came out with, both of which you and I were not fans of, this one I love. Now, you might not like it as much, but I was a big fan of it. He had Kayvon Thibodeau going number four to the Jets. He had him slipping a little bit, the edge rusher out of Oregon. And at number 10, he had the Jets taking Trent McDuffie, the cornerback out of Washington, who is phenomenal. The only slight knock on him is that he's got a bit of a slender frame. He's 5'11". They list him at like 190, but I would be surprised if he was any more than about 180 or 185. That said, he's very well-rounded. He can do just about anything. I would be thrilled to get him. You could plug both of those guys in day one as high-level starters. So, Chris, what I was saying to you before we started recording is this doesn't guarantee that Kayvon Thibodeau will slide to number four. But Daniel Jeremiah is as plugged in as there is. If he's saying that he has a feeling Thibodeau might slide a little bit, then it means it's possible. 
And for the people that are saying there's no way the Jets would pick a corner in the first round or that they don't value a corner, the scheme doesn't call for a top-notch corner, again, not saying this means the Jets are picking a corner at number 10, but what it does mean is that a corner is absolutely a possibility at number 10. Well, I will, uh, he's not the only one that's been saying that with Thibodeau especially. Um, and uh, I think from what I've heard, there's a little bit of, I, I don't want to say character concerns, but it's a little bit of a, you know, he's all business type of situation here. And that might be affecting him, at least in some instances. But we also I think we're all adults here. We know how this how this goes. He shows up to the combine and completely blows everything out of the water. That'll change all that, too. So that, there's a long way to go. But right mm-hmm. now, the momentum for Thibodeau sl- slipping does seem to be there. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the biggest coaching news right now, Chris. At this moment, there haven't been any official coaching hires. We're still waiting to see where Matt Eberflus lands. He's, of course, a finalist now in Jacksonville and with the Bears. It looks like Dan Quinn is in the mix with the Giants and the Bears. And also with the Jaguars, Byron Leftwich appears to be the other finalist. So it's probably going to come down to Eberflus and Leftwich. And with the Giants... At one point after they hired Schoen, who was the right-hand man to Brandon Bean in Buffalo, it appeared that Brian Dable was probably on the way next. But now the word is that Dan Quinn and Brian Flores are still very much in this thing. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But while we wait to see where these guys land, we do know that there's a new head coach opening that some of us weren't quite expecting, and that's Sean Payton announcing that he's stepping away. He's still a young man, relatively. He's in his late 50s, so he could absolutely come back, which I think he will. My thought here is that Payton probably is burned out, and he looked around at the Saints situation. They have no quarterback. They're $70 million over the salary cap. It's untenable, so he figures he'll take a year or two off, maybe do some TV or maybe just travel for a bit and then come back with a better situation. It's not a terrible move for him, What the Saints do from here is a different story We'll find out they're in a very tough spot With the salary cap So it's going to take a really concerted effort By them to be able to get out of this Without it becoming a huge mess But that is big news Sean Payton now out And we'll see what happens next year and the year after that Because you have to imagine That he would be the number one choice On pretty much anybody's list In next year's coaching merry-go-round There's not that there's very little way Out of uh, it that same situation being a complete mess, there, there's no way out of it. Like, like not only are they like 70 something over the cap, but that I know like fans get this idea out of your head right now to like go raid their roster in a fire sale for trades because they, they get no cap relief from trading any of their players. The way their contracts are structured, it, it, that's not going to buy them any cap relief. So that doesn't even help. Um, the only thing that they can really do is, you know, go to players that they know are going to be here for a while and they continue and restructure that to bring it. But like do 70 million worth of restructuring. I, geez, they're, they're just going to have to be bad for a couple of years. And uh, Sean Payton understandably wanted no parts of that. So he probably says, OK, let me go ahead, take a year off, relax a little bit. And then, uh, you know. Looks like uh, Jerry has is going to keep McCarthy for another year, and then he go ahead and fire him after next season. Sean Payton can take over right there. Uh, that just seems to be the most obvious script of how this plays out, because uh, Sean Payton, 
Listen, if I you get me in a position like Sean Payton where I've made as much money uh, and everything in my life, I will c- happily retire and sail off into the sunset. But coaches, professional sports coaches, are not wired this way. Uh, like they are just you, you can look even in the NBA, someone like Stan Van Gundy. That man is so miserable when he's coaching, and then when he's not coaching, he has so much fun and enjoys life. But all he wants to do is coach. He has all the money in the world. He can do anything he wants, but all he wants to do is coach and be miserable. And he knows coaching makes him miserable. And that's what all these coaches are like. They live for staying in the building to, for like, you know, 18, 20 hours out of the day. It's it's madness, but the coaches are mad. Uh, they're crazy like that. And yeah, I, I don't expect more than a year off. And I wouldn't even be surprised if we – a couple of days we hear about McCarthy being fired and Peyton come in immediately. Chris, big news before we get to anything else. This just broke courtesy of Jenna Lane over at ESPN. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have signed wide receiver Vincent Smith to a futures contract. So the Vincent Smith era with the Jets is over. Let's lament the greatness that was Vincent Smith here with the Jets, Chris, because it was a hell of a run for him. It was, and uh, for his sake, uh, you know, he, he's got to be sitting there hoping, praying, crossing his fingers that Tom Brady is, in fact, coming back and that he's not going to have uh, Kyle, Kyle Trask or Blaine Gabbert uh, as, as the quarterback when he tries to make that roster next year. We, we've seen what Brady can do with some of those bottom roster guys, even if he can't hold up in deep uh, that much anymore, but... Yeah, uh, I, I'll for one thing, I won't really miss him uh, doing well in uh, training camp and getting people excited, even though like this is what happens every year. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm ready to have a new wide receiver take his place in that this year. Chris, the regular season awards are now complete. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Cooper Cup is Offensive Player of the Year. T.J. Watt is Defensive Player of the Year. Absolutely zero surprises there. And then as far as the Rookie Awards, it was Micah Parsons, the Dallas Cowboys linebacker, who's Defensive Rookie of the Year. Zero surprise on that one. And, of course, the Offensive Rookie of the Year, Jamar Chase, who had an incredible season for the Cincinnati Bengals. So there you go. Absolutely no surprise for any of those categories. Although I did say to you, Chris, 100% on board with Rodgers being the MVP, but this would have been an interesting year to buck the quarterback trend just because Jonathan Taylor basically carried the Colts for almost the entire season. And look at what Cooper Cup did with the Rams. A remarkable year. That offense really ran through him as great as Stafford was. So you could have made a case for those two guys, but in the end, you knew they were going to give it to a quarterback. So no surprise that it was Rodgers. Any thoughts on these awards? Not really. Like you said, there it's it's chalk. It's what we expected. But what I'll say about Cooper Cup is, uh, I you can do MVP quarterback every year. We all understand this. And uh, give it to Cooper Cup, please. I, I, it needs to be somebody <laughs> different. And he has been so valuable. The, uh, Jonathan Taylor, I'm with you, but also like that offensive line deserves so much extra credit, even though he was truly special. But Cooper Cup does so much mm-hmm. with like that offense really revolves around him with the blocking, with the, the everything about it. Um, like he really sets so much of that offense up and that's why they can click and move the way that they do. Everything revolves around him. So obviously, yes, the quarterback is going to be more valuable, but 
sometimes you gotta like uh i just what's the point every year we're just gonna give it to a quarterback call it something different change the names up i don't know uh but cooper cup absolutely deserved it as well i also think it's silly to have an offensive player of the year and an mvp if the guy was good enough to be the best offensive player then he's also the mvp as far as i'm concerned i think the distinction is silly if you're the best player in the league then you're the most valuable Always the way I've looked at it And that's why Cooper Cup and Aaron Rodgers Are both on the all-NFL team There's an all-NFL team and an all-rookie team So let's go through both of them No surprise here, but there's only one Jet On the all-NFL team And you can probably guess who it is But we'll go through the list Rodgers is the quarterback At running back, it's Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor Wide receiver, Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup Tight end, Mark Andrews Center, Jason Kelsey Guard, Joel Batonio Zach Martin Tackle, Trent Williams Tristan Justin Wirfs, defensive end, Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, defensive tackle, Aaron Donald, Cam Hayward, outside linebacker, Micah Parsons, who's, by the way, the only person who made both of these lists, and TJ Watt, inside linebacker, Devondre Campbell from the Packers, corner, Trevon Diggs and Jalen Ramsey, safety, Kevin Byard and Jordan Poyer. Somebody might want to talk to Deion Sanders about that, because if you recall, he didn't know who Kevin Byard was. Justin Tucker is the kicker, AJ Cole is the punter, Braxton Berrios is the kick returner, so there's your one jet on the list. At punt returner, Devin DuVernay from the Ravens, former Texas Longhorn, and JT Gray with the New Orleans Saints is your special teamer. And then Chris, let's go through the all-rookie team as well. Not very many surprises on this list. At quarterback, Mac Jones. At running back, Najee Harris and Javante Williams. At wide receiver, Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell. At tight end, Kyle Pitts. Center, Creed Humphrey. Guard, Trey Smith and Elijah Vera Tucker. At tackle, Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell. Defensive line, Christian Barmore, Adafe Olway, and Jalen Phillips. At linebacker, Nick Bolton, who had a phenomenal year for the Kansas City Chiefs. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And, of course, Micah Parsons at corner, Greg Newsom and Patrick Sertan at safety, Javon Holland and Trayvon Morig. And special teams, place kicker, absolutely zero surprise here, Evan McPherson from the Bengals. Presley Harvin III from the Steelers is your punter. Kene Nguangnu from the Minnesota Vikings is the kick returner. Demetric Felton from the Browns is the punt returner. And special teamer is Nick Neiman from the Los Angeles Chargers. So what's interesting here, Chris, is not only were there not a lot of surprises, but especially if you look at the rookie team, with a couple of exceptions, this is exactly what you would have expected after the draft. Most of these guys were very highly ranked and very highly drafted. There are exceptions. Trey Smith was pretty highly thought of by a lot of draft people, but he slid all the way down to day three. A lot of people would have thought Lawrence Fields or Wilson would have been the guy before the season, but obviously, based on what they did this year, not a shock that Mac Jones gets in there. But if you look at most of the rest of these, it's pretty high first-round picks and second-round picks. So what that tells you is that at least for year one, there were some pretty solid evaluations going on all the way around with the rookies. So thoughts on the All-NFL team and the All-Rookie team? I really just have one thought that bleeds through all that and also uh, can be lumped into the MVP thing. And that's you can throw Micah Parsons name as deserving in all of those conversations. Mm -hmm. That that's Mm -hmm. all. That's all. That's really all. Everything else, like you said, was pretty obvious. Um, And I'm not saying that I thought Parsons would be a bust or even that like he wouldn't be awesome. But 
I don't think anybody saw anything close to what we no. got this year from him. No. And that that's that's as deserving for all any of the awards. Give, give him offensive player of the year award too if you want. I don't I'm good with it. Last order of business, Chris. Those playoff games on Saturday and Sunday were awesome. I thought the Saturday games were okay. The Sunday games were off the hook, especially that last game between the Bills and the Chiefs, one of the greatest playoff games I've ever seen. I did think it was worth talking about the fact that the Jets could have had Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and took neither one of them. In the case of Mahomes, they took Jamal Adams, and in the case of Allen, they took Sam Darnold. Now, to be fair, there weren't a ton of people that were screaming for Mahomes at number six at the time. He was sort of a late riser. More people were talking about Deshaun Watson than Mahomes in that spot at number six. But also, many of us, including you and I, Chris, were very anti-Josh Allen in that spot. Much happier with Sam Darnold. But we are not the ones that get paid to make these decisions. Mike McCagnan was, and he made two franchise-crippling mistakes there. People will say, and I think it's a fair point, that Mahomes and Allen wouldn't be quite as good as they are now if they wound up with the Jets instead of Buffalo or Kansas City. But I think the argument that both guys would have been busts here or they wouldn't have been good here is A, not fair to their talents, and B, I think, is something that Jets fans are telling themselves to ease the blow of the fact that they missed out on Allen and Mahomes. I would argue that it's fair to say they wouldn't have been as good as they are in Kansas City and Buffalo, but there are people already that are excusing this by saying Allen wound up in the perfect situation in Buffalo. Well, I'm not so sure about that. When he got there, the team was really bad. It took a couple of years to rebuild around him, And Mahomes, listen, I get it. He was with Andy Reid. He had some great playmakers. But take a look at Patrick Mahomes' tape at Texas Tech. Even if he wasn't going to get to where he is now, he was a special athlete. He had incredible ability. He came from a family that was always behind him and was going to pay for private coaching. And that's something that needs to be taken into account with Josh Allen as well. Certainly the Bills over the years did a pretty good job of building around him. It took a lot of time though, but Allen did so much work on his own. Drew Gear from the Rock Pile Report came on the podcast and outlined exactly how much work Allen did outside of the Bills ecosystem to get to where he is. There's a certain mental strength with Josh Allen that I think would have allowed him to succeed Anywhere he would have gone, maybe not to the extent that he has in Buffalo, but I think it's impossible to argue that he would have been worse than what Darnold ended up being and that Mahomes would have ended up being a worse pick than Jamal Adams. So I get the argument that situation matters. It certainly does. But if you're going to sit there and say that it doesn't matter at all if the Jets picked them because they would have come here and been bad no matter what. I think that you're just saying that to yourself because you want to find a way to make it hurt less that you're going to have to watch Josh Allen over the next 10 to 15 years torture the Jets and that you're going to have to watch Patrick Mahomes compete for Super Bowls every year for the next 10 to 15 years. With Mahomes, like it's indisputable that Mahomes wouldn't have had the early success mm-hmm. uh, with the Jets that he had with the Chiefs. Uh, he wouldn't have had Andy Reid. He wouldn't have had Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And uh, good offensive line. He would have it. It would have been a struggle for sure to start. Um, but the talent would have won out uh, eventually, and you would have seen and understood that he was definitely good. And uh, you could have now. They still obviously McCagden would have probably still struggled to build talent around him. But obviously, you still would have had a good quarterback. Josh Allen. 
a, a little I, I just don't know exactly how to go about this i do uh, my thoughts are like we weren't wrong to doubt josh allen sure. at the time mm-hmm. we were we've been proven wrong that it, i've been thinking that it could never work out but the history and everything told us that it wasn't going to work out because no quarterback has ever ever in the history of quarterbacking improved their accuracy like that so it was reasonable to just write it off now i this isn't me trying to defend being wrong because i actually love the fact that that happened Mm -hmm. because it's it's even more of a reason for me to sit here and check my flag in the fact that none of us have any idea what we're talking about (laughs) quarterbacks and i don't just mean none of us as in me you fans i mean the people who get paid to know this as a that they get paid millions of dollars for this to be i am able to identify who can and can't play quarterback and they have no actual idea um like and I certainly do not want to take away from the hard work and the skill and the talent that Josh Allen has put in and done. Because that's the one thing. The whole time with his draft, through the process, we we both agreed that his ceiling was through the goddamn roof. Like, mm-hmm. his ceiling was, like, on Mars, like, all the way there. But we didn't think he'd ever make it out of the basement. That's that's where it was with him mm-hmm. um, because no one has ever made that type of jump. Um, so I, I don't know how much of this is a nature versus nurture and how much he uh, is specifically, uh, you know, due to his improvement or how much the, the bills and the coaching staff. I don't know technique wise how what they fixed fundamentally wise. I don't know all that, but it's hard to dispute just his physical talent that he certainly wouldn't have been better here. And especially he easily could have done it if they just decided to just make him like, you know, a running quarterback first. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's for sure. But yeah, that, and listen, those, those two games on Sunday, the, the, you're right. Especially that Packers 49ers game was kind of, it was kind of boring. Um, It wasn't a a good game, Uh, exciting ending and all, but, the, the 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 Bucks game, especially you're sitting there watching and you think, oh my God, the, the Brady and his deal with the devil, it's gonna happen again. He's just gonna all the lucky stuff is gonna happen and he's gonna make this play at the end. It, just like we've seen for 20 years, and then it didn't happen. And then you got those last two minutes in overtime, and I have never seen a better two minutes in overtime in my life of watching football. That was the most amazing thing. I, I just to watch them go back and forth and score with such ease. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about the overtime rules too. And it's just like, uh, I hate the over, I hate the coin toss deciding it, but I also don't know what else there is. What's better. The only thing I can add to offer is for the Super Bowl. Just have them just keep playing until uh, somebody doesn't score. Like for the Super Bowl, I get you can't do that all the time, but for the Super Bowl, get the coin toss thing out of here. I have a feeling that if they had done that in that game, we'd probably still be watching it as we record this right now. Chris Nimbley, the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal. Thank you so much for joining me for Midweek News and Notes. As always, really appreciate it. Check out what Chris is doing over at JetsInsider.com and follow him on Twitter at CNimbley and at JetsInsider. 
Check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, has got phenomenal videos up, breaking down Trey McBride, the tight end out of Colorado State, Traylon Burks, the wide receiver from Arkansas, Dalton Schultz, the impending free agent from the Dallas Cowboys, the tight end. Should the Jets pay him $14 million a year? Luke attempts to answer that question with an awesome All-22 breakdown. It's all there on our channel, so watch the videos and subscribe if you haven't already. Visit our store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quinn Williams, Bless You, Thank You shirt, the Zach Says Go Long shirt, the Zach the Ripper shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, mugs, hoodies. It's all there. tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And make sure you give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest the New York Jets podcast and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.